Juniper Wong is a licensed clinical social worker and therapist who brings a unique blend of serious insight and serious humor to her coaching practice and her online presence. She shares very generously through social media, which is how I came to find her through our mutual friend, Johanna Middleton, which just goes to show that social media can really facilitate some meaningful connections. Juniper experienced depression, anxiety, bulimia, and unhealed trauma, which led her on her own healing journey. And now, thankfully, she is sharing that with her clients who are seeking new stories, healing, and a greater sense of freedom in their own lives. In this conversation, she again offers up a wealth of insight that I hope will support you wherever you are on your journey. This is Ways of Life, and I'm your host, Krista Wells. Juniper, I'm so thankful that you said yes when I reached out to you via Instagram. Yeah, me too. Near stranger. <laughs> yeah. But we've I been, checked out your stuff too. I liked it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we've mm-hmm. I don't even know exactly. We we were just realizing it or just acknowledging that Johanna Middleton is our common ground. That's how we somehow found each other on Instagram. And um, I was really taken by what you're sharing there as a therapist, mm-hmm. um, because, well, for two reasons. One is my life has, you know, been saved the last few years by teaching myself and seeking out teachers mm-hmm. um, in self-help and relational therapy and and spiritual growth, and largely, mm-hmm. strangely, through people who are sharing abundantly on Instagram. Oh, I like so, that. <laughs> so I think it's a really important thing that's happening in that space. And I think it's important work that you're doing. And then secondly, your sharing caught my attention because you have such a unique approach. You have such a unique com- communication style. And mm-hmm. as we will get to, you blend in the storytelling and comedy you don't often see with you know um clinical psychologists on instagram Mm -hmm. so i'm eager to to find out more about your journey so um what i'm definitely i'm not a clinical psychologist (laughs) okay okay so you're going to clarify for me yeah i'm not a doctor your background okay not Mm -hmm. a doctor but you um i saw in your bio all of these different avenues of work, social work, English education, high school Mm -hmm. English education, um, comedy, storytelling, and now, so is it therapy or what do you call your work? Um, It could be, it's both uh, therapy and also coaching um, relationships. So there is, I I think there is a large part of me that like misses education, not the public school system, but education, period. Um, and so I do really enjoy coaching and just, I think knowledge, knowledge is power. It really is. It really is. And so I think the teaching element, um, is very fun, uh, for me and hopefully for students or clients also. So I do both. So did you come into your adult life knowing I want to find a way to blend all these different things together these or is it has it been more like following a path and or following 
breadcrumbs. And one thing you've tried one thing and it's kind of opened up curiosity about the next thing, whether it's teaching or comedy, storytelling, coaching, how is that? Ooh, how have you arrived question. at this place where you're blending <laughs> all these things together so masterfully? Mm. Oh, that's so nice. Thank you. Uh, definitely not planned. No, not okay. very planned at all. It was, it was, um, I think that you hear this a lot. You hear this a lot with kids of immigrants where there is oftentimes if you do not fit into, you know, necessarily the norm that our parents want us to do, there is a sense of guilt, confusion, confusion around identity. What should I be doing? What does a good daughter or person do? Somebody who's like grateful for not being uh, born into a lifetime of poverty and suffering. Mm. What should I do to redeem my existence? And so mm. I think that like, I always knew mostly just because I wasn't good at it uh, inherently that like the route, it, it was very stereotypical. You know, my parents were very much like be a pharmacist, dentist, lawyer, what? Like I, <laughs> I just, <laughs> God, if I was a dentist or a pharmacist, I really, wow, no. So I was trying to like figure out, I think I went into teaching in the beginning because I really didn't know what I wanted and I never went into it. I've never thought about career as a, this is the thing I'm going to do for the rest of my life. It's just never. So I really did go into teaching being like, well, I'm going to build a valuable skill set. I'm going to learn a lot of things. It's not going to be boring. And I'm going to con hopefully contribute something I don't know what I did. <laughs> yeah, a lot of kids were, they loved me, but um, I think that I wasn't like the best. I, I was not cut out for public school education. I'll put it that way. I don't know if I was like the best, most structured. And I think there needs to be a lot of structure, a lot of organization, a lot of pre-planning. And that is not like my strong suit. Um, and so... So teaching, and then I floated around for a while um, before there has always been a threat of like social justice, um, interest in social justice. So I actually wanted to go into social work for advocacy and public policy. So that's the track that I went to first. Um, and so I worked in like a kind of a grassroots organization for a couple of years um, and it was fine, uh, but I didn't feel alive in it, if that makes sense, like nothing in it was bringing out the parts of me I like the best, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, and so I decided, and then at that time I went through a pretty, um, it wasn't that big of a breakup, but I did go through a breakup and it was just one of those times where I was like, I'm going to get out of Los Angeles. I'm going to move somewhere new. Um, and I'm just going to <laughs> take the first job that accepts me. So I just applied like all over the country port uh, Vancouver, Washington accepted me first. And I remember they had like one 30 minute phone call with me, didn't even see my face. And they were like, you're hired. And I was like, Oh, this is a red flag, but I'm going to take it. Let's <laughs> 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 just go. So, so then I got into clinical work, um, through that. And it was through crisis, like community-based mental health, 24 seven on call crisis work, which was, Again, I don't know why I do this to myself. I did hear that my rising sign, uh -huh. sorry, not my rising sign, my North node in astrology, supposedly I am drawn to chaos and crisis. Um, okay. So I'm supposed to learn in this life that like not everything has to be so intense that I can build things slowly and calmly and peacefully. Mm. So anyway, so I was in crisis work for four years and last year I started my own therapy and coaching practice. Um, 
to just, I've always wanted to try my own thing. Um, now I am. And so your, your degree was in what? It was a master's in social work. Uh, the original emphasis, I did take like mental health classes in that, um, in the core curriculum, but my focus was actually in community organization policy and and administration. It wasn't in mental health. And then, uh, but I learned a lot. I mean, that's how I normally learn the best anyways, actually just through doing a job. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so I learned a lot in that time and it was, probably also one of the hardest jobs of my life in a very Mm. different, in a really, really different way. Yeah. Um, but I, I, oh my God, I I do crave like performing. I crave attention, (laughs) I crave (laughs) storytelling and creativity. And then I think it's also connection because the people I meet when I show myself in this way, it's just radically different types of people I've met mostly online than the people I've met through showing like my professional side or my teaching side or my administration side. So I think that's also been it too, of like, I want to express it because I just want to find people who think in these ways also. And it's been a fun time. Right. So because though all these different these different ways of expression, these are all you. Mm-hmm. And so by integrating them and showing that side of yourself, yes, you're naturally going to resonate with people who also are like, well, I'm interested in this. And I'm also, mm-hmm. I love creativity. Mm-hmm. I love to laugh. Uh-huh. I love to learn in this way. Yes. And so you're more likely to find your people, your tribe, yeah. than if you only show this one aspect of yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Which is I think really notable. I think that's really worth, you know, saying and, and pausing on because this whole, the theme of this podcast is aliveness. What brings us that sense of, I'm actually experiencing this one life that I have here right now, Mm -hmm. happening right now. Mm -hmm. Um, And I hear that running through your story when you said, you know, you found there was this avenue of work that you can do. Mm-hmm. But you, the parts of yourself that you like best, that you mm-hmm. love best, and that that sense of being alive weren't being brought forth. Yeah. Yes. And I think there's so many people who would be listening to this conversation, this podcast, who are asking these questions about their own work, where mm-hmm. they're like doing something like I'm good at it, mm-hmm. but oh, there's something missing. What mm-hmm. should I do? Mm-hmm. And that can mm-hmm. be scary. It can be scary to leave one thing and to, to feel like, am I, and I think we have so many questions run through our minds and you probably mm-hmm. coach people with these questions. Mm-hmm. Um, like, is it selfish? Is it bad for me? That bad that I want more. Yes. Oh, I could talk about that forever. Yes. Talk about <laughs> it. Talk about it. Yeah. Give, us some, give us some insight. <laughs> I would love to know your opinion too. Cause I think I don't think that's an answerable, like a universally answerable question. You know what I mean? Okay. And here's what I think too. Like, I don't think there's anything inherently selfish about desire, period. Like, I just don't. I think desires just are. Um, I remember for a long time in my life, I just wished I could naturally desire less. Like, yes. if if I could just desire less, then I'd be happy. <laughs> <laughs> I could, if I could be a rock and yeah. have no... Passions. <laughs> yeah. That would be 
lot easier. It would be. (laughs) And it's hard to, I don't know how your parents were, but like when you are raised by parents who have so little, who like grew up and were raised with so little, and then even in their twenties and thirties had so little and were okay. Well, not okay, but you know what I mean? They were like mentally okay with having so little, they were constantly working to create more, Mm -hmm. I guess. But like Mm -hmm. the group was so little that like my life in contrast is more, it's a more than enough. It's a life that in their minds was of their wildest dreams, you know, of what they could create. Um, your, your parents were first generation. Uh, I always forget which one it is. It's when Mm they, uh, they, no, they immigrated from, from Taiwan and Hong Kong. So I guess I'm first. Yeah. I'm first generation. They met. Yeah, they did. Okay. They did. Um, they were actually pen. It was very sweet. They were pen pals first. Anyway, that's a whole, if you want to ask me that story, I'll tell you that story. (laughs) Okay. Back to, back to the original thread. How do you know if you're selfish for wanting more? Okay. I think the desire in an, in and of itself is not selfish. I think it just is. And I think it's kind of like, um, how do we, I don't have an answer for this, but Mm -hmm. I do know I've been questioning it a lot and it's, how do we work with our desires? How do we stop pathologizing them? Um, what is okay to want? You know, what even is quote unquote, okay, because there's all these different cultures and constructs of what is okay to want and what's not okay to want. I was raised really not right. Uh, like my teen years, I was raised really evangelical Christian, very, very. And so it's very like all through my adolescence, it was, if you want sex, if you want it, well, actually it was okay to want, it's just like not okay to have it or do anything about it. So like, um, but there's this like sense of so often, like we are supposed to want the things other people tell us we're supposed to want. Um, and if we want more or maybe less then there's something wrong with that. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think that it takes a lot of real, I think community in trying to figure out like what's an authentic want in me or desire, um, what's authentic to Mm. me and what's the thing I can't ignore that just like keeps coming up over and over again. And how can I honor my desires? I think the biggest question for a lot of people is how can I honor my desires? If fulfilling my desire seems to hurt the people around me, that is so fucking hard. And I don't think there's a clear answer to that. Cause I think it's like, what price are we willing to pay? Right. Cause sometimes fulfilling our deepest desires means hurting somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, and all I can say is being human is really fucking hard and it's annoying. Yeah. So we should be rocks. <laughs> well, yeah, you, yeah. Just become rocks. Well, yeah. what you said uh, a couple minutes ago was, I uh, to paraphrase that you're asking the question, how do we interact with our desires or how do we navigate that? Which is maybe a, a more useful question than our desires, bad or good, or, and because we do, at least it seems like most of us have this, we keep coming back to, but can you give me just a clear yes or no, right mm-hmm. or wrong, certain answer. And what I hear you saying is, no, I can't. It's not a one size fits all. Every situation mm-hmm. you should always go mm-hmm. after what you want at all no. costs, or yeah. you should never go after what you want. I hear you saying it's it, the better question is how am I going to walk through life interacting with my desires? What's my, what does that mm-hmm. conversation look like? Yeah. And I think the desires are so 
varied because I know there's desire in me for like one that's always been a very easy struggle I guess for me to talk about is my desire for stuff I just want mm-hmm. stuff. I just want a lot of stuff. <laughs> I think it's very <laughs> hard not to want stuff in, in our culture. Yes. Um, and it's like, um, the more I got to know that part of me, the more I see it's definitely a part of my like shadow self, the part of me that I repress or deny or reject. And she's very hoardy and really feels like a lot of scarcity and feels a lot of security in things. Um, and when I really connected with that part of myself, it was realizing, yes, it's a part of me, but it's not my highest self. You know, um, I don't think my consciousness or my spirit came to inhabit this body to accumulate a lot of things. (laughs) It doesn't need, um, so I think right now, I honestly, it's hard for me to answer that question because I'm genuinely, I'm trying to parse out what are my authentic desires that serve kind of like my highest self that are right. just, I cannot deny. And what are the desires I have that are just shadow right. aspects of me that are trying to achieve security or escape something in a way that's not really going to serve mm-hmm. what I'm really here for. Right. Yeah. Well, and to to discern that it requires a deep level of connectivity with yourself, mm-hmm. right? To, to yeah. be really tapping in and listening deeply. And one of the things that stood out to me that I read on your, I think it was like a values, um, a statement of your values or beliefs mm-hmm. on your website mm-hmm. was that disconnection is the root of suffering, mm-hmm. which yeah. really hits home for me because I, connection is one of uh, um, my key. I have, kind of whittled down, at least for this season of my life, four key values, which are connection, creativity, freedom, and growth. These are things that I prize and I seek out and protect. So when I read that disconnection is the root of suffering, that really um, speaks to me and makes sense to me. Can you say more about your discovery of that? Yes, I think. um, So I read this bell hooks quote the other day. I want to, um, okay. This is totally okay. This is about patriarchy (laughs) and toxic masculinity, but, but I do think, um, and I'll relate it back, but, uh, she said the first act of violence that patriarchy demands of males is not violence toward women. Instead, patriarchy demands of all males that they engage in acts of psychic self-mutilation and they kill off the emotional, um, parts of themselves. If an individual is not successful in emotionally crippling himself, he can count on patriarchal men to enact rituals of power that will assault his self-esteem. Mm. Um, whew, when I read that, that really spoke to me because even if you if you look at on a societal context, like why does toxic masculinity exist, or why do we see certain um, aspects of? I kind of believe in that whole like there's feminine energy and masculine energy, yeah. and why is masculine energy, well, both energies are often like twisted, but in terms of masculinity, it really is this disconnection with or demonization of anything that's perceived of as feminine, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas like, I I also believe humans have both. We, We like, I embody masculine energy sometimes and I embody feminine energy at other times. And it's kind of this dance back and forth of like the right time and when. And so like, I know for me, um, the disconnection I see, like, so like with men I've dated or honestly, even with my own husband too, it's like a lot of the suffering that I experience or he experiences is really a loss of connection with ourselves. 
um, a loss of connection with the, I guess the psychic space to be like free of shame one, um, to actually know what we're even feeling to be able to name it or call it or give it attention. Um, and to connect with the part of our, all parts of ourselves, like all parts of us. And it's not a white knuckling, forcing it through to only show the good sides of us. It genuinely is connect. I really believe there's no bad part to us. There is just parts that developed at ages that are continuing to do behaviors that are, we've outgrown, that are just like no longer serving us. But we like ignore and neglect and push away all these things. Um, or we get our true self confused with these different parts. And so there's like all this internal disconnection with like, um, I'll give you an example. One of my parts is highly, highly, highly impulsive. I don't know if it's like the ADHD or the what, but she, it's like preschool, just this very impulsive part of me. And, um, it's always a part that I have felt like I need to white knuckle, white mm. sit on my hands and keep from destroying things or doing bad things or whatever. Um, and this year has really been a year where I'm like, I want to get to know this part. I want to understand her. I want to know why she came to be, um, and honor what the purpose she serves while also kind of like understanding that I'm my consciousness, like I can parent her <laughs> differently, you know? Um, and I think that it's kind of like that war that we're kind con- a lot of people experience life as this like constant war inside of ourselves mm-hmm. of, I have to force myself to do this thing, or I have to force myself to not do this thing, or there's this thing I don't want to do that I have to do. And like, that's what life basically is. <laughs> it's like, yes. and it's a, a, this constant inner conflict And that just manifests in our relationships, in our communities, in our politics. It's this like very unintegrated souls all trying to have relationships with our (laughs) like parts we don't even know are there and that we've never even talked to. So I don't know if that made any sense. That was total sense. Okay, good, good. No, it makes so much sense to me. Um, Last year, I read a book that changed my life and it was called The Dark Side of the Light Chasers. And it's Hmm. by Deborah Ford is her name, but it's talking really uh, giving you tools to connect with these different people inside of you, right? These different, and, and she goes so far as to like, let, encourage you to give them a name, like mm-hmm. lazy Lucy or whatever. And then you, you actually, you know, in meditation or using your imagination, you meet up with these characters and invite them to tell you what they want you to understand about yeah. them and why they're here, what they, what they would like from you. What, what is the need mm-hmm. that's unmet? And, um, I've just found that that practice that you've just described of acknowledging this part of myself um, invites curiosity and compassion instead of shame and Mm -hmm. shut down, like you said. And it's just so exhausting to go around trying to manage and control Mm -hmm. what I hear you saying is in relationships that gets really dicey when these things aren't addressed, because Mm -hmm. in a sense, it's like all those hidden parts of me are interacting with the hidden parts of this other person. Yes. <laughs> yes. We don't know what's what. We're like, wait, who's talking? Yeah, and that about? part might be like five years old and yes. it's trying to figure out what to do with the finances, but it's like freaking out and it feels incapable. 
And it's like, we need to make like, which part of me is talking to which part of you right now? Because, because what, but it takes so much awareness. Um, have you ever heard of internal family systems? I have, I haven't nice done it like myself, but I have several friends who have had therapists help them with that. Yeah. So anyone who has heard about it, that what I'm talking about is going to be very familiar because it, it's taken from that's I probably the system or the structure I like the most. And can you share a little about it for yeah. people who don't know? Of course. So the fundamental theory behind internal family systems is that there are no bad parts to us that, um, that there are, every part has a purpose to serve and parts just, it's kind of like a quote unquote dysfunctional family. Um, it's not about exactly like killing or getting rid of a part. Um, that part contains like energy psychic and you can't get rid of energy anyway. It just needs to be transformed or directed differently. And so the idea is kind of like, just like in a dysfunctional family, either maybe the parents neglected, right. Or the parent, uh, or the parent neglects the kids or vice versa. The parent is too enmeshed with the kids. Maybe when the kids are angry, they get angry, when the kid is sad, they're sad, there's no sense of separation. So in internal family systems, there's four main parts that create ourself. And that's kind of what they say every human has. So there is the highest or authentic self. Um, So that's the part of us that we really are engaged with when we're calm and curious and compassionate and courageous. It's like our authentic best, the self that we just feel good inhabiting, it's our highest self. Then we have the managers who try to control things ahead of time in order to protect us from ever feeling the wounds of our inner child. Mm -hmm. So they might be like judgmental, self-critical or passive, passive so that we don't have to feel any sort of wounding, um, things like that. Then there is the exile. The exiles are our inner children, um, they carry quote unquote, like burdens from never having their story be heard. There's a lot of grief, um, dependency, loss, loneliness, um, sometimes anger, shame, worthlessness in the exile story. And then last but not least, a fourth part of us is a firefighter. So basically what managers try to do is kind of keep exiles locked in a closet. If I'm perfect enough, if I'm passive enough, if I'm critical, self-critical enough, then I will be beyond reproach and my inner child will not feel any shame, right? So the manager tries to prevent anything from happening by controlling. The firefighter actually reacts after the exile's been upset. So let's say something has triggered my shame, like um, so many things. Uh, so like, oh, I'm trying to think, although I'm like a lot better at it these days, but let's say, okay, so let's say like my family calls me selfish, right? That's a trigger for me. My family calls me selfish. Then my firefighter is reactive to try to distract or soothe me from that emotion. Mm. So they show up in addictive behavior, um, obsessions, compulsions, rage. Um, and addiction can be like shopping, sex, video games, workaholism, like, um, and they basically try to help protect the exile, the inner child by, doing all these other things that will, it's almost like throwing a candy bar at a crying kid, like here, Mm, (laughs) just eat this, you'll be fine. And so the goal is kind of like, how do we help these parts develop different relationships with each other? Um, And how do we help the self energy 
um, the highest self energy really come in as a parent and really transform its relationship with all of these parts and give them the attention that they need. Help the manager and firefighter understand like you don't need to repress this exile. Like I'm here to take care of her or, or him. And, um, and how do we create enough space in ourselves to let the exiled parts of us share their story of grief and loss and shame and worthlessness? And how do we, in our authentic energy, help them to know and bring them out of that place where they got stuck of realizing we don't have to live there anymore. We are not there anymore. And even though those were your parents or caregivers or the people who hurt you, I'm here now. Um, and it's really, it's really interesting when you, when I work with clients or my own work with myself, like going into these parts, it's very clear. They're all separate. It's, it's very, 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 very clear. And it's really clear when I'm, I'm starting to get very clear on when I'm in my authentic energy and space and inhabiting that space. And when I'm in one of these other, and I, constantly doing the work of differentiating. I am not the grief. I am not a bottomless pit of despair. I'm not compulsive, obsessive behavior. I'm not any of those things. Like I am separate. Right. I'm a parent. I'm able to relate to and nurture and soothe and manage all these different parts of myself. That's incredible. And, and so everybody has all of these um, according to internal family systems, yes. Yeah. It's not all have, only people yeah. who have had extreme trauma. No. Mm-hmm. It's just everyone. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Although, um, it might manifest differently for each right. person, or, um, I think what they would say is that like the people who haven't had extreme trauma, let's say they're relatively healthy. Mm-hmm. It would be that their internal family system is healthy, that there is, gotcha. you know, like maybe the firefighter flares up and it's like, Hey, like, let's go oh, you just got dumped. Let's go fuck someone, you know? And then like, right, maybe, right. maybe the self energy is so strong. It's like, mm, we're no, <laughs> we're not doing that. You know, I'm going to take care of myself, but that's, that's not how I'm doing it or whatever it might be. Right. I'm, I think there's a different relationship. That person has a strong sense of self identity and grounding probably that wasn't taken from them. And they're able yeah. to relate to these parts very differently. Mm. Yeah. Wow. So you, you, you work with internal family systems with mm-hmm. your clients. Yeah. Um, are you finding that you tend to attract a certain type of clients or are you noticing patterns and themes in our current world? Like, yeah, yeah. that's it. That's an interesting question. Um, I will say when I was in community mental health, the pattern and theme I saw was <laughs> major major, major, I cannot emphasize how major Mm. systemic, uh, systemic, structural, institutional issues, cultural issues. Um, and then generational trauma, like Mm. hard, intensely being passed down generation after generation after generation. And the difficulty of addressing that trauma when there's a lot of cycles of poverty too, that keep continuing. And so I think that's what I saw there with my own practice. I definitely like attract the millennial, you know, crowd or Gen Z crowd more. Um, and I think what I'm finding with them, it's because of what I talk about. A lot of people do come to me looking for, because they're either noticing there's something wrong, not wrong, but like 
they're not feeling fulfilled in their intimate relationships, whether they're Mm -hmm. couples or single. Um, And to be honest, a lot of the people who come work with me have never tried therapy, period. So that's been interesting for me. Mm -hmm. It's it's a lot of first timers, um, especially with BIPOC. Um, So I, I work with a lot of Asians and other people of color who like they decided to reach out to me for whatever reason. And, um, and it's even just building vocabulary around these experiences or of even starting to understand that, oh, I experience emotions in my body and where is it in my body and, and how am I separate from, oh, who am I even? <laughs> like, right. what is me? So it's, it's been a lot of, and there's a lot of like depression and anxiety. Um, but I'm seeing a lot of people who are just struggling with just intimacy, I guess, Mm. and feeling a level of intimacy with other people, not actually not feeling it, not feeling a certain level of intimacy with other people and realizing they want it, but not knowing how, um, Mm -hmm. or not knowing what exactly the issue or the barrier is. And so, Wow. I, yeah, I, I have been very drawn to, um, the conversations around intimacy and attachment Mm -hmm. and relationship the last few years. I mean, for obvious reasons, I, to an extent I left, you know, I, I, I lost my marriage and, um, so I've been single and dating on and off. And, um, it is, fascinating to me or you know appallingly fascinating that I could you know I'm an example of a person who's gotten to midlife and all of these concepts are brand new to me like you said like Mm -hmm. this vocabulary building Mm -hmm. I've had such a steep learning curve the last few years but as you said earlier that knowledge at least knowledge really internalized and applied is power. I mean, mm. I, I've just been drinking from a fire hydrant from people <laughs> like you, generous <laughs> teachers like you the last few years, because there, there is so much freedom and power that comes when you just have the awareness and the language for what you're experiencing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, without that, you just really feel like something is just wrong with you. Like you're just inherently wrong, yes. flawed, malfunctioning. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. I, um, attachment theory has been such an eye opener in so many ways for clients and for myself in my own relationships and my, how I handle myself. And like, it's so interesting. Cause it made me think of like one client I've been working with where they were telling me how, um, they had been feeling weird that day, kind of hollow. Right. And they didn't really, it was uncomfortable. They didn't really like it. And, um, I do this exercise a lot with people where it's like, okay, let's, let's try to give more specificity to this sensation, Mm -hmm. um, in terms of physiologically, how can we describe it? Like, is it warm? Is it hot? Is it cold? Uh, how big does it feel? Is it making a sound? Does it feel like it's moving? How painful is it on a scale of one to 10? Just like, let's put like physiologic, because again, with emotional pain, it's very hard to know how to treat it because mm. for a lot of people, it feels like, oh, it's just this invisible thing, this invisible thing that I probably made up because I suck. And it's like, mm. no, it's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and it's like, no, it's actually, 
there. It's very physical. The minute you just ask people to close their eyes and look at it, it's really fast. People have a color, a shape, a size, a sound, a texture mm -hmm. to it. It's very fast. And that's almost like externalizing it as in, okay, here's a wound. Here's a thing that's like speaking to you. Um, and then I pull up a list of like needs, um, uh, feelings that come out when your needs are not satisfied. And it's kind of like, okay, out of all these words, which ones do you think speak to you? You know, maybe it's um, a feeling of not being understood, not being seen, you know, or a feeling of like lacking uh, purpose or lacking play or meaning, whatever it might be. Right. And then once you see that, like what the feeling is, then we can kind of see where do those feelings point to? I think what you said earlier, unmet needs. Mm -hmm. Um, and this feeling is really trying to speak to you and tell you, Hey, there's a need not being met. And I just want you to meet it, please. <laughs> and then we're like, no, you suck. Go away. <laughs> you're, uh, you're uncomfortable. Um, but, but the more we are just like, Oh, here's this like Brown, this sounds very odd, but it's like a therapy session might go like, oh, it's this like brown square that's uh -huh. hot and squiggly <laughs> and it's lonely, you know, and it's telling me I want to feel a sense of like belonging and companionship and, and that I feel misunderstood and I need to be understood. Mm. And then once we like find that um, we can start to figure out like, how can we like get those needs met for you? Uh, but yeah, without, without that, it just becomes, you know, it's like a lot of the baby boomers have just kind of like, you know, what do you have to complain about? Just get over it, move on. There's nothing wrong. And it's so easy to do that because we're not visibly bleeding or visibly broken. Yes. And so I think there, we really need to attach like physiological language to emotional experiences too, to really help us kind of externalize it, you know, and understand, right. oh, this is a wound and we can treat it. Yeah. yeah. That, the, that um, connectivity between the body and mind, which mm -hmm. I have not explored deeply as you have, but I have a number of friends who have found um, that to be a powerful source of healing for them realizing uh, how their body has memorized so much mm. of their pain and, mm -hmm. and, you know, yeah, just how you can't, it's very hard. It seems to treat one without treating the other, without involving yeah. the other, without yes. inviting the other into the yes. process. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I read this statistic. I don't know if it's true. Cause I saw it on Instagram. So who knows, but <laughs> I, it reads true to me. They say, have you heard of cognitive behavioral therapy? It just like works yes. with your like thought. It's mostly with like altering your thoughts to shift your emotions, to shift your actions, et cetera. Right, right. And they say that for people with uh, trauma, mm -hmm. uh, whether it's PTSD or complex PTSD, that CBT doesn't work for like 70% really? of people. And because trauma is so somatically, so bodily stored, so um, impactful on the nervous system that yeah. to only address the thoughts, the cognitive element of it is ignoring this huge <laughs> piece of intelligence that we have in our guts, in our hearts, in our lungs, in parts of us that stored this, um, and that affected the way our brain and our body interacts also, um, with, yeah. Wow. So 
fairly. So then in those cases, what are the options? Uh, how, what are some of the tools for mm-hmm. bringing your body into it? Yeah. I, um, have you ever heard of Bessel van der Kolk, the body keeps the score? Oh yes. The yeah. Book. I, I'm, I haven't read it, but a number of my friends have. Yeah. Yes. Like so many people talk about him. Um, so I love the idea. I think other authors have had the same idea before. I think there's another book called, um, I forgot his name, but it's a book called my grandmother's hands. Okay. And it's also about generational trauma and how our lived experience of trauma affects us on a physiological level, not just mentally mm. cognitive level. Right. So the, the, there's so much. Okay. So one would be, have, um, Bessel van der Kolk actually recommends, uh, acting classes, um, as a way to process trauma. Um, specifically, I think he mentioned Meisner and it was so funny because who was it? My acting teacher, I've taken Meisner classes in Portland and my acting teacher, I remember him just telling me, I forgot if like he was his student or vice versa, but all I know is my acting teacher and Bessel van der Kolk, they like worked together at some point while Bessel van der Kolk was writing his book. And so Meisner is all about present moment awareness in your body and noticing with present moment awareness, the other person that you're talking to Mm. and staying in the present. So like so often we don't interact with each other as we are. And as they are, we interact with our story of who we are and who they are. And then that just is a cluster, <laughs> you know, so, like, so, so but, um, I love Meisner because it's very much like, um, I loved it because my teacher would always be on the side and he'd be like, you're getting in your head. Notice him. Notice him. What is his face doing? What are his hands doing? What's his body language doing? And then he'd say like, you know, stop going back to what you just talked about. That's over now. That's not happening anymore. What's happening now? What's happening now? What's happening now? And so Meisner is this like really beautiful training to really start like noticing in the present moment without overthinking. Cause a lot of Uh, people with trauma actually intellectualizing their emotions is their coping mechanism to their way to get distance from their emotions. And Meisner doesn't kind of give you enough time to intellectualize. You just have to be present and keep going back and forth. So one, they say acting, I would say like dance, yoga, anything that gets you to learn to have notice what's going on in my body. What's it saying? Is it saying no? Is it saying yes to this? Is it and building that awareness of responding to it in the present moment. I think that's why I like a lot of yoga classes too, because it's not about you have to do all these things. You know, you have to like follow this boot camp or whatever. I hope it's not like that. It's more like, here are some suggestions, but listen to your, what's your body saying? What's the breath saying? Um, so yoga, physical movements, there's a type of therapy called somatic experiencing, which is really helpful too. And it's just these very gentle exercises for starting to get to know your own body and its intelligence and starting to mm. understand like how so many things, a lot of us, when we were traumatized in the past, we froze. Um, and so a lot of that, like chemical hormonal energy that got released that was supposed to help us fight or flee. Mm -hmm. It just got trapped. Um, and in us. And then as if, especially if we grew up in an abusive household, it's just like more, it's like daily energy, just getting trapped, 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 trapped. And so somatic experiencing is how do we start to get in touch with that energy and through like visualization, meditation, physical movement, also 
release it, like release it through body expression so that these cycles can be completed, that what your body was meant to do, you know, maybe back when you were getting hit by Mm. a caregiver or something like that, that what your body really wanted to do was fight back or run away and it wasn't allowed to. So how can we kind of resolve and give your body that sense of confidence that it can, it can move this energy, um, instead of staying in that frozen state. So that's another one. Um, there's a lot more, I don't know about why I keep talking, but yeah, there's a lot of different, uh, method. I would say internal family systems is very helpful. It was actually internal family systems was originally developed to help treat, uh, women with eating disorders. Um, because eating disorders are like notoriously difficult to treat in the quote unquote mental health community. Um, and he was finding that these like behavioral things of like structure and routine and like change your brain, like how you think about it just like wasn't working. Um, and so really creating that bodily awareness of like, where's this part of me that wants to either binge or purge or starve myself, whatever it might be. Mm. And how do I start befriending these parts of myself? How do I start understanding these parts of myself? How do I start integrating these parts of myself instead of fighting against them all the time? Um, and really starting to understand simple little things of like, when I feel something, where do I feel it in my body? And if I feel it in my gut, let's say, how can I even just put my hands on my gut and tell that part of me, like, it's okay. You're okay. I'm here. I'm listening like little, little things like that. But again, so much of trauma is not just psychological, but it's like physiological, you know, it's all the touches we didn't receive. It's all the hugs we didn't get. It's all of the physical safety we didn't feel, even if we weren't necessarily like, uh, you know, beaten every day or had some sort of like horrific abuse. Um, even if it was just, my mom was stressed out and anxious and angry all the time. And I could be yelled at at any moment. So my entire life at home was walking on eggshells. That anxiety causes this cascade of like physiological effects that need time to heal. Man, I just, I'm listening and thinking, I hope that people listening who are in in a state of suffering are hearing you say, whatever happened to you, whatever you didn't have, whatever you had happened that you wish hadn't happened or whatever Mm -hmm. you didn't get that you wish you had gotten that um, there are so many tools available Mm -hmm. to help us give ourselves what we didn't have and to help us move the trauma through our bodies Mm -hmm. or to however you say it, Mm -hmm. um, that we don't, we don't have to be resigned to just, Oh, well, I was neglected as an infant and now I'm guess I'm just stuck this way mm-hmm. forever. I'm going to mm-hmm. live with this conscious torment day in and day out, you know, <laughs> that there's so much, you know, there's so much uh, that's accessible. And I mean, frankly, I've been really pleased to just see the, the uh, acceptance around having these conversations that seems to be growing in this generation. Yeah. And um, yeah, I'm just so thankful. And now you've got me curious about going down some of these (laughs) rabbit trails that I haven't gone down. Mm Because, you know, another, a couple other themes that just keep coming up through this conversation are 
um, attentiveness, whether it's through the internal family systems or, or yoga Mm -hmm. or inviting the shadow figures to speak, it has, it all comes back to, I'm going to pay attention to what's happening in me. Mm. I'm going, I'm paying attention to you now. You know, I say to myself, I, I'm listening. I'm noticing. I'm feeling Mm -hmm. with you Mm -hmm. and it's all okay. I'm Mm -hmm. not going anywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, and for, you know, those of us with anxious attachment, which has been my experience um, and, you know, advanced uh, fear of abandonment, things like that. Mm-hmm. There's so much power in some of the things you were describing, you know, mm-hmm. just putting my own hands over my yeah. own heart, you know, yeah. like, I'm, I'm with you, whatever happens today, I'm here. Yes. Amazing. Yeah. I love that. Very encouraging. Yeah. Um, well, I wanted to ask you two more questions before we hop off. Thank you so much okay. for all the time you've given me. Already. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> two questions. One is the first one is what are um, non-negotiables for you in your practice mm-hmm. of aliveness? Hmm. Ooh, I love that. Uh, <laughs> man, I have a lot, honestly. I'm like, man, I am very high maintenance. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, I need a lot of things to make me feel okay, but maybe that's maybe, maybe actually what is pathology is the level of self-neglect that is normalized in our society. Mm. So maybe actually I am normal maintenance, but anyway, Um, but non-negotiables for me would be definitely exercise. I have to move. I have to, and like whatever is pleasurable for me, generally I do have to stretch just because the tension just I need to release it um but like I love dance I love just hiking and walking I love yoga like any sort of movement that's a non-negotiable then like creative expression is a non-negotiable for me too so I am definitely like always writing um looking into like storytelling um I've done acting just because it's really for me it doesn't really matter it's just a form of like play that I really need um and it's yeah, it's a non-negotiable for me. And then I guess, uh, I'm trying to think of one more, I guess the last one would be, I don't know if this is a non-negotiable or just like an, a compulsive behavior that at this point in time, I cannot stop, but like, um, it is, uh, introspection, like mm. constant. Um, and sometimes I need to just put a stop on it because it's just like, okay, let's just not, let's, Let's be superficial and shallow today. (laughs) Good for you. But, um, so I think there's like, uh, so actually maybe it's both of those things. I do think like I have to introspect and I have to have conversations with other people who love introspection as well. I just find it. I just love it. And I love guiding other people through that process. I mean, that's probably why this is my work. Um, but on the flip side, I really, a non-negotiable that's not talked about enough maybe is like, I have definitely in my thirties understood the power of just being shallow, quote unquote, shallow sometimes of just taking things less seriously of doing things that seem useless, I guess you could say, um, or things that are just like, you know, in, I, I didn't get into reality TV until my, th- <laughs> <laughs> just, or like, I didn't get into like painting my fingernails until my thirties, but there is something about being like, you know what? I'm not going to think about anything deep or meaningful today. Yeah. And I can't, 
and I need to not. And I think there's um, a lot of beauty in that too. And I've learned to use that more. um, And I'm glad I have, because I think it makes me more like present and actually engaged than always trying to figure things out. Yeah. Right. To lean into, but I think most of us have a tendency to lean one way or the other. Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. always a matter of like, okay, how can I challenge myself to lean? Yes. I definitely am a person who is like pondering the me- deepest meaning of every <laughs> single little thing that happens. And so yeah. my, my kids will often be like, mom, sometimes it just is what it is. It doesn't mean anything. <laughs> You know, and I'm like, no, it always means something. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. so I appreciate that. I appreciate that. And uh, could use some of that practice myself. Just lighten up. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. By the way, this is a total side note, but yeah. apparently singing is very good for helping to soothe and calm the nervous system. So like the yes. vibrational uh, kind of vagus nerve stimulation through <gasps> singing um, helps to regulate and bring you back into like social engagement, um, calm. If we are created where mm-hmm. singing creates that sensation of, I don't know, tapping into divinity, let's say uh-huh. like, wow, that is divine. <laughs> you know what right. I mean? The right. fact that we are made that way and that doing something like that makes us feel this collective sense of high. Yes. I guess you could yes. say, cause I've definitely like for a while, when I stopped going to church, I would keep going back for the music and then leave <laughs> when the sermon yep. started. And yep. I just, I felt so drawn to that and en- the energy of hundreds of people singing together and engaging in this music and trying to connect with a source beyond us. There yes. is something really powerful there. There is something. And you're also matching pitch with each other. So you're creating mm. this, um, you know, it, this unity, mm-hmm. uh, in a, in a way that's not just ideological. It's like, actually I am matching my voice to your voice when you're in a whole room with all the humans going, Hmm. Yeah. You know, uh-huh. it's cool. It it's is very cool. cool. It's cool. My uh, last question is I, I want to honor your time and let you go, but I want to hear from you. What is it that you love about being you? it's so easy easy for us to know what we don't particularly Mm -hmm. do well or love you know yeah I I that's a nice question thank you for asking that that's a a good question um let me think I huh okay I love that year to year nothing's ever fully the same (laughs) I think I love that I love that. Um, I love that I am always looking. I love that I've experienced so much, um, and that I continue to want to experience such a diverse array of things and places and people. Um, and I love that I. I can't explain it other than I keep trying. You know, I've always had a very like uh, inquisitive, like investigator part of me of there has to be a book on this. There has to be an article on this. There has to be a podcast on this, a YouTube video, a documentary, a movie. There's something like, I am this like sponge that, um, anytime I've come into some sort of seemingly unsolvable 
issue, especially when it comes to like my own psyche or other people's or relationships. Um, I'm very aggressive in my search for an answer. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, I've never really been complacent in like, Oh, this is how it is. And I will, I guess that's it. it. And for the mo- most, most of the time, I love that about myself. <laughs> yeah. I, yep. I understand. I yeah. understand that. Yeah, man. Well, you have just been uh, so generous with your sharing in this conversation, as well as what you share on Instagram and I'm sure one-on-one in your coaching and therapy. So I'm so thankful. Thank you. And I love your presence. Um, you you have just a very like, Oh, I could be around her for hours. I think. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, I am around me all the time. Sometimes I don't feel that enthusiastic about it so <laughs> yeah but there's something like very beautiful and um life-giving about your presence so thank you thank you juniper mm-hmm. such a pleasure and to our listeners a big thank you for being with us if you enjoyed this episode got something out of it do us a favor and leave a review follow subscribe and we'll see you back here next time